I'm Kate Daniels. Opioids, drug addiction, alcoholism. Sometimes it feels as though we are drowning in the stories, the reports of how huge this problem is. No question, we want to get a grip on it. And one way is to share the personal stories with the aim of helping just one person and then maybe one more person and so on. Frank Shaw is a man who is doing this. Frank has written about his life, the alcohol addiction, his family of seven sons, one of whom died as a result of drugs. It's an important book. Signals of Transcendence, One Man's Story. Frank Shaw, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. And thank you for being so open and honest to share your your life, all the ups and downs, the challenges and the joys in this wonderful new book, Signals of Transcendence, One Man's Story. That's the name of the book, yes. So thank you again for revealing these stories, for being with us this morning and offering us the opportunity to focus in on it a couple of different aspects, if not more. One never knows how these things unfold. But certainly one of the things at the core of this is addiction, is something that happened in your life, in in your family. And it's so important, I think, to talk about this because we're seeing this happen too often in our own neighborhoods, in our own country, that uh, is taking lives unnecessarily, taking lives literally, and then destroying lives that people keep on living. But there's such challenges, right? Well, it has been called an epidemic um, in terms of the drug abuse, and that is pretty much what it is. Um, you know, John MacArthur would say it's a reflection of the condition of the human heart, which is true as well. And so the same principles, I suppose, would would apply. But uh, it was particularly acute in, in my marriage. Acute may not be a bad word. It was front and center at, in my marriage because uh, my wife and I met in recovery. And so the $64 question to us would would be, uh, how do we instruct our children uh, as to God and leaving a spiritual life when it might save their behinds one of these days? And I imagine, and that's the reason it's so important for us to have the conversation with you, Mr. Shaw, I would think because of that challenge of many of us would be facing as parents, we've done these things in our past, how do we share that with our kids? Do we even share it? How how did you and your wife grapple with that? Uh, well, there's a lot of aspects to that. I, I guess the the first thing being that uh, a kid would rather see a good sermon than hear one any day of the week. So uh, they they pay a lot of attention to what you do and not much so much as to what you say. And so, you know, just living it uh, is a... Um, uh, is a key. Uh, you called me Mr. Shaw. It made me cringe because I hate when people <laughs> people call me Sir or Mr. Shaw. Although my my ten year old five years ago he was five years old and we were at the beach coming up and the young lady in a bikini came down. We did the excuse me, pardon me thing on the sidewalk. Then she looked at me and said, "Oh my, what a beautiful grandson you have." So <laughs> I, I guess I guess it's bound to happen eventually, but. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it really has to do with uh, with how you you live and walk it out, and I think kids pay attention to uh, to that. Although you mentioned that that it's a, a 
a family thing. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I'm the only one in my family that crossed the line on on alcohol, which was uh, you know, basically at some point you you lose control of the amount you drink once you start to drink. And the Centers of, for Disease Control have a study that say youth youth that start drinking before age 15 years are six times more likely to develop alcohol dependence or abuse later in life than those that begin drinking at or after age 21, which is the legal age in in Louisiana. So uh, at the time I grew up, which I tell in the story, uh, you could graduate from high school and be shipped off to Vietnam and and be home in several months in a coffin. And uh, so drinking was not necessarily one of the issues. In fact, I think parents were somewhat relieved if to think that, although they, a lot of them thought wrongly, that we were that that was all that we were doing. So, beginning at 14 or 15 uh, was not a a problem in my house, which you know everybody, my parents uh, were of the World War II vintage, and they they drank. And uh, you know the old saying is, we used to solve our problems over a bottle of booze and some cigarettes, and now those are our problems. But uh, from their point of view, that was that was normal, and uh, and so that's where I grew up. Now I don't have it in my house because my wife and I don't drink, and uh, and I guess that makes a a difference at least uh, at least culturally. But I, I don't believe that that's necessarily it. But for parents that think that that do drink uh, socially, and and God bless them, uh, if they think they're doing their kid a favor by teaching him how at a younger age. I think the science and the statistics bear out that that's not the case. And so, yes, the statistics are really important, and they are so readily available to see what those numbers are. You were mentioning youth, if they start around age 15, and they are starting younger than 15, they are so much more greatly predisposed then to suffer uh, some addiction as they mature. That's what the statistics show, and that's just on alcohol. Uh, I would suggest to you, uh, going back to the to the 60s and 70s, and, and currently you have eight states that have legalized marijuana. You have medical marijuana in virtually every state. So the availability of drugs, uh, not only out marijuana but other drugs, uh, cigarettes, all, all the way up to, to opioids, uh, is something that I think should be addressed. And if you wait till age 13, you've waited, you've waited too long. But if you think a kid isn't going to experiment with something that's legal like alcohol and not uh, the same thing with weed, then I, I think you're just kidding yourself. And we know, you use the word epidemic, we know, I believe, if we're really honest, that that's exactly the state that we're finding ourselves in. And it, tragic doesn't even come to... Uh, acknowledge just how devastating this is. And again, you know, turning to you and your story, you suffer, have suffered this firsthand in your family with your son, one of your sons. Well, I have, we had seven boys uh, uh, in sobriety and raised them and, uh, and had lots of fun. And uh, <clears throat> I, I think the key that I, I came to and, 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 uh, uh, I talk in the book to some extent about my uh, religious walk, but I, I came to God in uh, in AA uh, through uh, the steps, which don't tell you what to believe, but kind of tell you how to get there. And um, and so 
uh, we had seven kids, and it was a it was a lot of fun and mentoring them and and whatnot. But the, in the final analysis, I can look back over it and say that I you know I trusted God with my life, and uh, you have to trust your God with your kids as well, uh, because I've tried public school, we've tried public schooling, homeschooling, Christian schooling, um, and the uh, availability of drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes is just about everywhere. It doesn't really matter uh, which way you turn. So your kids need to be uh, as prepared as you possibly can, and then you have to uh, teach them to trust God, and you have to do that as, as well. My fourth oldest son, Fletcher, uh, was uh, I found him dead of a, a drug overdose on October 22nd, 2016, uh, the Saturday of the LSU Ole Miss game, and I had spoken with him two hours before leaving the house. So I don't know what happened, but I do know that for two years before that, he had uh, 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 come to faith. Uh, he told me flat out that... Uh, uh, that he got it, and uh, and he was good for two years. So what happened in that last couple of weeks or month, I don't really know. And uh, uh, when I found him, his dog Baxter, or my dog, actually, it was my dog the whole time. I just lent it to him. But um, Baxter was there, and uh, if I wish the dog could talk because the dog could tell me what happened in that two-hour period of time. And that really rocked our world um uh, uh, to no end. Uh, nobody is immune from this, and uh, and even if you take active uh, measures, uh, you're not immune from it from it either. And uh, the supply of of heroin and opioids, uh, my wife has has made the statement to me that uh, one generation's habits become the next generation's excesses. So I don't think it's any surprise, you know, from people in my generation who grew up with alcohol and pot to think that kids these days would think that they have to go one step further uh, than their parents. And uh, on college campuses, I think it's getting really out of control. The kids are drinking and also taking Xanax. Uh, there's a pr- proliferation of the use of LSD and, and heroin. And uh, the statistics, you know, I hate statistics because there's liars, damn liars in statistics. But the, uh, the statistics show that... Uh, uh, 80% of all hero, current heroin users began on some form of prescription opioid. So that in and of itself should tell you that it's the, the availability of these drugs is, is unlike anything I have ever seen in my entire uh, lifetime. And it may, it may come from uh, manufacturers <clears throat> uh, uh, supplying them. It may come from open borders. I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons, but the point is if you, your kid needs to be ready for it because it's going to be pushed on him when he goes to any major institution or school, and that's kind of scary for a parent who has a kid for 18 years and then uh, uh, relinquishes him to a faculty uh, away from home who uh, I've seen some quotes from from uh, professors that you know, parents have had these kids for 18 years, and it's up to us in only four years to undo everything they've done. And that's a kind of a scary thought. Yes, indeed. And it's not even 
that academic realm where that's happening, but then the influence of of all these other young people on campus, challenging each other and uh, enticing people and taunting perhaps. So there are so many influences. And as you said, you, you've raised them well for 18 years doing the best you can. And yet uh, you have to, I guess, hope and pray as you let them go. Well, that's true, and and my kids, you know, uh, grow up, uh, you know, they go through junior high, and 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 they make statements to me like, "Dad, what do you know about peer pressure?" And it's like, well, I happen to know a lot about peer pressure because I went to I went to junior high school, and uh, at, and at some point they say, "Dad, how do you know these things?" And it's like, uh, so the excuse, you know, the time to raise it, uh, usually comes when when they they ask that question and the excuse that of uh well I went to a public school doesn't uh doesn't fly anymore and and, and at age 13 14 15 uh, really before then I I've, I've coached 11 12 football for years and uh that's the right age to to address that and sex and a number of other uh topics with with young men and, and basically, if you if you were 12, you got to get into the lifeboats on the Titanic. If you were 13, you went, you stood on the deck and went down with the men. Um, you know, most medicine bottles say 12 or under, consult a physician. 12 or over, um, take an adult dose. So that's when the change is going to occur. That's when boys, in particular, are going to say, "Mom, uh, buzz off," and it becomes dad's problem. And um, uh, so it, it needs to be addressed before that. And then my uh, uh, attitude toward that is, is that, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex are all like any other kind of sin. And it's uh, you're going to be in a battle for the rest of your life with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And welcome to the war, gentlemen, because it's not going to get any easier. And uh, when they see you, you know, fighting the same fight they're fighting and... Uh, uh, and you know, admitting uh, when you when you made a mistake, uh, they can pattern themselves after that. Hopefully, but when they get up with a bunch of other um, knuckleheads, all that goes out of the window. And so, it is important to be open and honest uh, uh, with our kids about our past. Do we temper it then? Uh, I would guess according to age. Well, that's true, uh, and I think according to age, you'll know when the when the time comes when the question is 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 being asked. Uh, <clears throat> a small child that's not uh, uh, aware of that, there's no, I don't I don't think there's any need to bring that up. But as they as they become more and more uh, uh, confronted with those types of things, I think you need to stay out and in front of it and the idea is to raise them and give them more and more responsibility and ultimately you know cut them loose at the same time you know not giving them more than they can handle which uh if anybody's ever had teenagers and i and i've written about about that in the book uh, <clears throat> to to some extent uh, they'll know they'll know what i'm talking about i mean with seven boys uh, the emergency room at the local hospital. All they they would see me coming up the driveway, and the paperwork would be filled out. All I had to do was write the name, the name, and uh, of of who it was. And uh, so kids are going to make mistakes, and and you have to let them do that. And it's painful to watch that, but there are certain things that are not negotiable, and and in, in terms of uh, uh, being lawful, and. Uh, uh, 
uh, staying within the bounds of of what's good for you. Parents have to draw lines on certain things, and that's and that's that's one of them. And again, Frank, I am just so thankful to you for your honesty and the way you've expressed these insights into your life and your family's life in this new book, Signals of Transcendence, One Man's Story. We should mention you have a website uh, where you blog and people can get uh, find the availability of the book, purchase their own copy, and, and read more stories, right? Well, yes, and, and you, it's available on Amazon and um uh, Barnes and Noble and Kindle and Nook and iBooks and all the rest of those uh, those types of those types of things. And uh, really, after finding Fletcher, um, which is something that I never thought would ever ever happen. And you know, they say uh, it, when you least expect it, expect it. And the truth is that particular Saturday, that's the last thing that I expected. It was like getting shot. And it took me uh, a long time and has taken. I, I don't think it, it changed everything, and I don't think it's ever going to uh, change. As a matter of fact, some mornings I wake up and I think, I wonder if the day will ever come where I wake up and don't walk through the events of that day. And then I think, you know, if that day ever comes, I'm going to feel bad about it um, because I never do want to forget the, the events of that day. Uh, of that particular day. And I told my son, I said, you know, I know all things, Sam, uh, I know all things work together for good uh, for those that love God, but uh, I have a hard time finding anything good coming out of this. And that was on the way from the church to the to the cemetery. And uh, since that time, things have been revealed to me uh, as I've gone through this process that I'm, you know, I'm not the only person going through this. And, and, uh, 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 you know that God loves me and thinks along that, those lines that I write about in the book that hopefully will be helpful to other parents that have gone through this and uh, and will be um, maybe uh, something that will help other folks. I got an email Saturday from a friend of mine from South Africa that uh, is from he went to LSU in Baton Rouge where I went to school and uh, has been stomping around in Africa and Madagascar and Oman and, and various places where he re- he read the book and he, he is mentioned in there but not but not by name and uh, and he, he he stated he said he hopes a book helps a lot of people and so do I because my purpose of writing the book was I hope that it would uh, by sharing in my experience strength and hope you know which is the biggest thing uh, that it would help. Uh, anybody else that might be going through a, a similar time, and the bottom line is that without a relationship to God, you know, uh, none of this is possible for me, and and that is uh, really the hardest thing to communicate to a kid uh, who wants it. You you mentioned how do you tell a kid he wants it real, and and you can't just say well because it's in the Bible, you know, it's true, and and you know he has to see. It's not true because it's written in a book. It's true because it's true, and um, and and has to experience those things on his own. Otherwise, uh, the walk means nothing uh, to him. And so, communicating that to a kid, a fourteen and fifteen year old kid, is a little bit difficult because I mean they want it, they want it real. But uh, you know, you can't get any realer than than uh, being on a well, a football field to me is probably the the best uh, 
example, you would think there wouldn't be many teaching moments on a football field, but trust me, there are many, many times that uh, that, that you can uh, uh, have a teachable moment uh, on the football field that just comes naturally if you're walking the walk, and and that's what they that's what they want to see. And uh, uh, but it's still hard because a kid is a kid, and uh, and he's you know my job as a dad is not so much to be there when things go great and they graduate. My job is to be there when they totally blow it and and uh, and fail that uh, they know I got their back because my dad always had my back. And uh, the more and more I think about it, the more I can think, well, uh, if I'm supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ, the more that, uh, you know, that God had my back. So uh, they need to know that, and and it's my job to to do that as a dad, at least. So that's the reason I wrote the book, and, and, I, and I hope it helps other folks. And that's certainly our hope as we share this, because certainly finding some piece of it, if not lots of pieces of it, to bring comfort and direction and solace, that sort of thing is so critical. I have to wonder about, well, all of your sons, your wife too, after Fletcher's death, how maybe particularly with the younger ones as they are still forming themselves, how this has impacted them and and also watching you, I guess, as you have had to deal with it. Well, I, I had Ross and Mason, uh, uh, the two youngest, with me. I guess Ross was 14 at the time and Mason was nine, and um, it's affected them. Well, let, let me put it this way. It certainly got their attention. You know, Mason, on the way back, he was crying. I, I, I didn't know any other way to tell him other than to come down. I made him wait in the car. He was dressed like Batman, going up to play with his brother and whatnot. And uh, I had to tell him that Fletcher was dead, and because he knew. I said, "Do you know what's going on?" And he said, uh, "I think uh, I think I do. Something bad has happened to Fletcher." And I just had to tell him. But we were on the way home, and uh, and he rode with me at my insistence. And uh, after. And I kind of go through it in the book, but after all of the, seemed like everybody came right in the middle of this very festive atmosphere to go play this football game, and we were going through this. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, "This is going to take some time to process." And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Boy, is that is that an understatement out of the mouths of babes?" And uh, but I went up to his room about a week later, and he was sitting on his bed with uh, Elton John, the, the song Daniel playing, just crying. And, and I was like, what are you doing up here by yourself? And he's like, I didn't want to bother you and Mom. So I went in Ross's room, and he was kind of isolating and doing the same thing. So I had to get them all together, him and Jackson, and call a meeting and say, look, if there's a big hole in the middle of the floor, which there is, you know, I don't want you all to walk around and pretend like there's not a hole in the middle of the floor. We have to... We have to talk about this and work our way through it together because, you know, trying not to step on somebody's toes is not the not the way to do this. And that was kind of a relief to them. But Fletcher talks. I mean, um, Mason talks about Fletcher all the time because they were they were big buds. And and it was kind of hard. That was October 22nd. He wanted to go trick or treating on October 31st. So I took him. You know, as much as maybe I had mixed emotions about it. Uh, we did it, and we kept doing those types of things, you know, to get a little bit more more balance. As I went through, a, a friend of mine from Lake Charles sent me a book by uh, Peter Kreft called Making Sense of Suffering. It's the only book I read. He's a 
professor at Boston College uh, in theology, and uh, it's a great book. And it kind of helped me because I was I started the next morning. I was I just picked up the book of Job and started reading. Naked I came into the world, naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if, I told myself, well, if I can just hang on to that, you know, for one day. But at the end of the whole book, the answer is there are no answers, and um, not specifically. You get clues. You know, so I need to I need to keep going, and slowly with the passage of time, I start to loosen my grip on this thing. But I don't think I'll ever forget, and um, and it makes me realize, being I guess I'm 61 years old, that in the time left, I need to I need to make it count as much as possible, which I had already resolved to do. But uh, this added a little bit more urgency to it, and and I suppose in the overall scheme of things. Uh, but 61 and 20, 30 years or however long it's going to go isn't that big of a, of a stretch. So um, hopefully the book will uh, have a, an effect uh, you know, after I'm no longer here. Exactly. That the story lives on and, and brings comfort. People share it with others to get the insights that they need to because we never know exactly what's going to touch someone. And I feel that with your utter honesty in sharing your life in this book, Frank Shaw, that you're helping us to to find those pieces and to find comfort. And and you were saying earlier of how you have to model for your kids. You can't just speak the sermon. They're watching the sermon. That as your sons watch you living this walk, uh, that they are really learning a great deal. And, And even when you stumble to see you recover, says so much to them. Yeah, I think a kid needs to, well, what is the saying in the, uh, about marriage? Uh, love means never having to say you're sorry. Well, that's a bunch of baloney because you better, you better be ready to say you're sorry and say, and probably say it a lot. And, uh, and kids, kids are kind of the same way because, you know, nobody that I know of is perfect. And certainly you don't want to, uh, although a seven-year-old would probably think his dad is the closest thing to it. But, uh, no kid will will believe that, and you need to explain to them that that's the the way the world is made, and uh, they need to accept that and deal with it and look past that. So I think that's really important to uh, to do that with kids and to to let them know because I've, I've heard it said over and over. You know, we we want it that's real, and and one of the reasons I wrote the book the way that I did is uh, under two. Uh, sections, which is non passe, non peccari, which if anybody knows Augustinian theology, that that would be no ability not to sin, and then passe, non peccari, the ability not to sin, and the only change is an action that God had in my in my heart, and uh, putting that as a practical matter without a bunch of preaching or anything, because I want my kids to understand that I believe what I believe, not because I'm some kind of holy roller or because it's written in a book or because you know, I'm just trying to force something on them or take away all their fun or something along their lines, but uh, those lines. But So they'll know, as a, as a matter of fact, that this saved my life as, as much as pulling me out of the path of a speeding bus, and it could save their, their life, too. And I think there's a statement in there that I heard years ago from a man. It's, it's, it's hard to save face and your ass at the same time, and uh, sometimes you get put in that situation, and it's true. So many different ways of sharing wisdom in this book, 
Signals of Transcendence. The website is the same name as this book, Signals of Transcendence. And again, Frank Shaw, it's uh, really been so wonderful, really a gift to have you with us this morning to share this part of your story, to offer it to us as a way to learn and bring comfort and understand that life is uh, really an incredible and wonderful journey, even with its pain. Well, it it is. You know, um, the first lie that you hear is, uh, did God say you couldn't eat from any tree? And and the truth is, no, there's a, a lot of good things in life, and you need to learn about them and enjoy them and whatnot. And at the same time, there's some things that you shouldn't do. And uh, I guess my experience at an all-boys public school written in the book would be a good example of a lot of things that maybe you shouldn't do, but you can learn either way. So uh, that's to some extent the reason that I put in. Quite frankly, some of it is just funny. I think God has to have a sense of humor. You know, as I came to faith, it just became so apparent to me that these things have been happening and have been ordered for a long time, and there was a reason behind all of this, and so it gave me a sense of peace. So with that, you know, it's okay to mess up as long as you know that you've messed up, I suppose. (laughs) Yes, it's still all unfolding, but again, your words of wisdom through the story, I've believe are encouraging. And I thank you so greatly for being with us to do that this morning, Frank Shaw. No problem. Have a great day.